Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Full Plate, Full Cup. We're startup leaders turned executive coaches who believe that you deserve to be wildly successful and wildly happy. We interview trailblazing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives so you can peek behind the curtain of how they got where they are today and start carving your own path towards success. Each episode shares personal stories as well as actionable takeaways that you can apply to begin living a more joyful and fulfilling life. Join us to learn how to scale your business, harness your power, and fill your cup. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. Thanks for listening. Yay! Katya, we're so excited to have you on the Full Plate Full Cup podcast. Welcome! So happy to be here, you guys. This is going to be awesome. We're going to spill all the tea. We love spilling tea. We know nothing is off limits with you. You're an open book and you have so much knowledge and energy to share about a whole array of topics. So I'm going to read your intro and then we're going to dive right in. So after dancing professionally for years, Katya combined her passion for dance and fitness into a career when she founded Dance Body in 2013. And for those of you who don't do fast math, that is 10 years ago. Originally moving to NYC from Michigan in 2009 to become a performing artist, Katya found she thrived in the emerging boutique fitness industry. Dance Body originated from Katya's private sessions that quickly turned into high demand full dance fitness classes. Now, over 10 years later, Katya has built her vision into a company known for her compassionate yet no-nonsense attitude towards building an inclusive culture. And I can personally testify that that is the truth. (laughs) Her mission to provide a dance workout experience of, quote, nice people dancing to good music has translated into devoted dance body clients in NYC, the Hamptons, Miami, Los Angeles, and beyond through the Dance Body Live app. Katya is currently expecting her first child and has been a big advocate of movement while pregnant, causing a viral sensation this spring with over 30 million views of her dancing through the first trimester. 30 million. All right. All right. Casual numbers there, Katya. 10 years in business, multiple studios, several giant cities in the US, 30 million views. You're you're doing it all. Doing it while growing a human. Yeah, I I think that that's the goal, right? Is is that we do it all, right? I would suppose. Yeah. It's why like, why not, right? Yeah, I always wanted all of those things. So now we're just doing them all at the same time, which has been really exciting. But yeah, ten years in, it's you know I just feel like I'm just starting to understand what I'm actually doing. So yeah, and you're just getting started. So you know you you started Dance Body ten years ago. Which like in the New York boutique fitness scene is a really long time, right? For something to last, for something to continue to grow and for something to continue to evolve. So how did you want Dance Body to be different from all of the other fitness offerings out there? And how have you maintained that kind of like special sauce as your business has grown over the past decade? I think it's really interesting because just being in the Petri dish of New York city for boutique fitness, you really get a test of, do you have what it takes to create a quality product where people are going to come back for it? Because in New York city, in LA, people have so many options to work out. So you're competing with not just dance fitness, you're competing with yoga, Pilates, whatever's hanging from the ceiling these days. So you really, your competitors are very vast. So for me, I think what was really important to me from the beginning was that this felt like 
a neighborhood studio where it's kind of like cheers, where everyone knows your name when you walk in. Like that was my goal with this. Now, obviously that means we don't have a hundred million locations because as you expand to that degree, of course you lose quality and you sacrifice that for quantity. I'm not necessarily looking for quantity. I'm looking for real quality crown jewel studios that function really well, where the staff knows your name and people continuously come back for more. And then streaming can fill in the gaps for that. So I think we had a very different feel from the beginning. We remember your name. We know who you are. If you're dealing with injuries, if you're pregnant or postpartum, those are things that are important to us. We don't just kind of shuffle you in and shuffle you out. Like it really is a full experience, your trainer is going to actively talk to you if you're new or if you're dealing with an injury or if it's your, you know, 57th class and you earned a star, like they are going to know these things. So I think having that personal amount of touch point, especially my trainers has been very different. I wasn't looking really just for trainers or just for dancers. I was looking for humans that displayed empathy in their teaching. And that is a very different thing to pay for than I'm going to go in here, grind my gears, and then I'm going to leave. So having an inclusive community, I think, is very attractive to a lot of businesses. It is not easily created. And I think what you're looking for is a curation of the humans that you're hiring. My thought was always, because I had the luxury to build this thing from the ground up by myself, I don't have a boss. I can hire who we want to have in our space. One of those luxuries is I, you know, my number one rule is I never hire someone I wouldn't go to dinner with. Like if I wouldn't hang out with them, you're not hanging out with them. It is really important. It's it's a meritocracy, right? It's really hard work. So I want them to be able to do the job. But on the other side of that, it's not enough to just do the workout. You have to be able to have that empathic, respectful, kind vibe to you. So that's really been part of our core for a long time. Yeah. And I mean, even to speak to what you said that you're not just like shuffling in and shuffling out, like I remember last week I took a class from you and during ads, I'm also expecting my first child. You came over to me and you're like, let's do our own thing, right? Like, whereas in a lot of fitness studios, the teacher would have been like, you're pregnant, you know how to modify, do whatever you want, right? Whereas you came over and we're like, I'm going to curate this part special for you. And so, you know, from my experience and from what I've seen, people really do go there to get a workout that is unique to them and to their needs. And you do a beautiful job of, of meeting people there. So, you know, something else that I've noticed that you just mentioned is how truly inclusive the studio is. Like everyone talks about community. It's been a buzzword since I think all of us entered the workforce, but not a lot of people actually know how to make community, at least in a way that's actually meaningful. So Outside of, you know, hiring people who have empathy, what do you do when it comes to creating an environment where everyone feels welcome, where everyone is kind, and that anyone who walks through that door is frankly just like excited to be there? I think a lot of, you know, being in person, especially post-COVID, it has very different meaning than it did even before. The boutique fitness industry has changed drastically from when I started in it 10 years ago. People are genuinely coming in person now because they want to be seen. They want to be part of this thing. So the community we had pre-COVID and post-COVID, you can almost just like draw a line down the center. It is very, very different. And also with the streaming community, you know, we, I, I'm sure you noticed in class, like, we have a monitor up front where this is not Zoom. This is proprietary built out to us, like white labeled. It's like I can see everyone's faces on a screen and I see them every single day. So the girls I see in class every single day are the same as the girls I see on the screen every single day. I think a big piece of this buzzword we call community is 
being seen. I think people want to be seen in a very different way and they want to be heard. I mean, people are coming in and they're not leaving. <laughs> they're they're coming in, they're moving in, you know, they want to talk to you about their day. So the real work is before and after class. And I always iterate that to my trainers. I'm like, if you're not talking to people before and after class, you're missing the best part because the workout is the check the box moment. Everyone knows that they're coming there for the workout. Okay, great. Check a box. Anyone can do that. What a lot of people can't do is, is gain those conversations before and after class. I think that's really important. So it's always been, um, you know, being from the Midwest, <laughs> it has a very different, like when people come into my mom's house, you are fed, you are talked to, you are taken care of. I think with a lot of boutique fitness, I was noticing that it's very, even for me, and I am a boutique fitness owner, I'm in shape. I would be like the, the, perfect model to walk into any of these places, I felt uncomfortable. So I'm like, if I'm feeling this, imagine the person that's just coming to work out for the first time is feeling this. So it was really my mission that like, you're not just kind of like plopped into a spot and you're one of the ranks. Like it is important to me that people are actually being talked to. So that's something that we work on actually in my trainings with my trainers is how do we talk to people? How do you have a conversation? Because when I'm hiring 23 year old girls, it might be difficult to talk to a 43 year old woman that's walking through the doors. There is a disparity there in age. So how do you have those conversations? How do you connect in? How do you connect the dots? We do a lot of that. It's almost like EQ training. IQ is one thing, but EQ is just is important. And if you don't have that, you really can't work for a dance body because you're asking people to dance, which is overwhelming, uncomfortable, can be frustrating. People get in their heads about it. I'm not good at this. Am I coordinated? Am I not coordinated? Do I look like the, how do I look like I'm, I'm an adult trying something that's really out of my, my comfort zone. When you know that you have to have teachers at heart, real teachers teach with empathy, teach with compassion. They see the uneasy learner and they find a way to teach you. And I think that's the difference between, you know, the dance culture, which is perfectionist and exclusive. And when I was auditioning, there was no feel good vibes in that room. You know <laughs> what I mean? It just doesn't exist. So I think for me, I didn't ever have that career on Broadway that I always wanted, which is why I moved to New York. I moved here to have a career on Broadway. And it just, the vibes and the it just, it, it's mean girls. Mm -hmm. And that that's the thing I don't, I didn't want. So if I have this luxury to create a business, we have a zero asshole policy. We have a zero mean girl policy. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want passive anything. If you have a problem with someone, it's up to you to talk to that person. So it's also a shared responsibility of, of having those conversations, good, bad, easy, uneasy. It's not about just like rainbows, hearts, and stars. It's like, Hey, if you have something to say, say it, and then let's get past it. Because if you harbor it, it just doesn't work. So there's a lot of stuff in there to, yeah. digress, obviously, but, you know, working with women pretty exclusively for the past 10 years has taught me a lot just because it's female founded and female led and female owned and female driven does not mean it's a walk in the park. This is hard work. Women relate differently. There are different phases of life. You have different ages in there, different points of view. And I know for a fact, we have different political parties in there, different, you know, senses of the world, streaming versus in person. Like, so how do you, how do you make it a place where everyone can feel comfortable, especially in a very challenging time? Yeah, I love this so much. So I started my career in hospitality. 
you know, hearing you describe the way that you prep your, your dancers and your teachers, it's like, you know, if you go to a restaurant and all you get is phenomenal food, like that's one experience, right? But like, you know, everyone knows the difference between when you go to the restaurant and the waiter's like, won't make eye contact with you and everyone's rude. And then they're like, your seating's up. It's been 90 minutes or whatever. The food could have been phenomenal, but it's a different experience when you're actually like, hospitality, you know, when you have that, that feeling. So what you're, you're creating is really, you know, it's more than a dance and a fitness experience, but it really is like a hospitality uh, experience. And that, that requires like many skills to be able to, you know, host people, make people feel welcome. And then also like teach them a kick-ass dance class. So kudos to you (laughs) and your team for doing it all and making it look damn good. May I add? So in addition to physical studios, you have two uh, in New York City, you have classes in the Hamptons, you have LA, you have Miami, and you have a digital platform, Dance Body Live. You also have physical products ranging from branded apparel to fitness equipment. So all the consumer sees is, right, this beautiful brand package, you know, multiple touch points. But Rebecca and I know that creating physical product is <laughs> no small feat. Actually, like, Rebecca, like her secret dream, she wants to create physical product one day, like one it's day. On, it's in. on my, it's on my life bucket list. Yeah. She it's on her bucket list and put it into the world. So talk to us about that because obviously, you know, dancing and teaching dance, there's a through line, right? It's different managing people, a through line, but different, but creating physical product. Talk to us about how that process went for you, what it was like, the creative process, the challenges, give us, give us the tea. I will say that my personal business sense is very intuitive. I don't have a background in this. I didn't go to school for this. No one in my family does this. I, no one in my family even lives in New York. Like I it really like, I am doing a lot of this intuitively and it, it works for me because I feel like my consumers are happy and I'm happy on a daily basis. And there's different measurements of happiness. But so when it comes to creating product, there was no master plan. Similarly to how like my initial business plan was, it's like, I create, they like, they come back, I do it again, there's demand, here's some supply. That That is, it's honestly that simple in a weird, really weird way, in a very basic way. Um, but when it comes to creating products, it's a really interesting game. It's very different, okay? There are minimums, there are patents, there are trademarks, there are all these things to navigate. I wanted to create product because I felt like the products that we were using for the workout were fine, but they were not designed for what we were doing. So if you take a yoga mat, right? Everyone knows what a yoga mat looks like. We aren't doing yoga though. So like Rebecca, you've been to class, like we're going on that mat and we're rolling all around. We're doing a side series. We're doing it all fours. I'm laying on my back. We're doing something weird on the angle. And I was like, we really need a mat that's more circular, but maybe less circular. What if it had like six different points where I could tell you your leg has to go to number three so that I know that your glute medius is going to be engaged. And that's how the hex mat was created. We are not talking digital. We are not talking hundreds of thousands of dollars of, you know, investment, or I I didn't have to do a raise for this specific product. And I really would encourage everyone to do the same thing because you have to start small to understand I knew there was going to be a demand for it because I already had the people coming to class. So I I knew that people were going to want these things. And it's a very simple product to understand. I've always been told if your grandma can understand it, then you should do it. (laughs) You got to be able to explain it in one sentence and it's got to basically sell itself. So you have to have a really good hook line. So I created something called the hex map. 
It's a hexagon shaped mat. It's numbered one through six. Put your hands here. It's like an adult twister for workouts in classes of 30 people. And especially with online streaming, it's very hard to get people to understand what is the glute medius? What's 45 degrees? What's a cross diagonal? This is, this is a totally different language. But if I say, put your right leg on number six, people know what that means. So again, it's basic, but it works. So I wanted something that was cushioned. So you didn't have to fold it a million times and something when you put it down, it just did all the work for you and it bridged the gap of learning. So that was important. So I think when it comes to creating product, it's always a gamble because you, you never know in the beginning, is someone going to buy this? Is someone not going to, am I going to be sitting on inventory? So a few pieces of advice I would say is ownership, whatever you have, you want ownership which means you want a trademark and you want a patent if it's proprietary. Now we have proprietary equipment that I've created, which is the hex mat and the hex weight, the eight pound hex weight. Those are the two things, but a resistance band, good luck, good luck patenting that. That's not going to happen. D weights, although I love them, can't do it. You know what I mean? So it's just like some of the vendors we work with, that's just not going to work. So you need to be very careful about what you're owning. You have to be able to truly own the trademark and patent and design, and then actively pursue that process. Because once you have it, anyone can rip you off. It's not hard at all. Someone sees it, someone likes it, they produce it on a mass scale, and now you're screwed. So it really depends on, do you want to make a cute t-shirt or do you want to make a product that no one's ever seen yeah. before? My products are pretty simple. They're easy to understand. And I've not seen another design like it. So that's kind of what I'm looking for when I'm creating product. And it serves the workout. People like to see, why would I get a workout mat? I already have a workout mat. I don't need a workout mat. I'm like, well, you kind of do if you'd like to know exactly where your body's being positioned. So it needs to make sense. And you can't find the same thing on Amazon for like $2. Yeah, because everyone will go to Amazon if they can, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, unfortunately. I I want to go back to something you said that is uh, a lot of your business decisions have been made on intuition, which I love. You know, I coach primarily founders and I'm very uh, like present to the push and pull between like the data and spreadsheet people and the sort of intuition people. And then the, those that find sort of a happy middle ground. So I'm curious for you because now you are a seasoned entrepreneur. 10 years, you are seasoned, right? So how have you learned to trust your intuition, maybe when other people are presenting you with data that says something like, how have you learned to really get into trusting your intuition and using that to move your business forward? Well, I will say if I was only allowed to act on my intuition, I would be broke. So you definitely <laughs> need both sides. So let's not, uh, <laughs> and, and luckily I have a co-founder that is very numbers oriented, which I love because and I've learned to be numbers oriented. That did not come naturally to me, just like social media didn't, just like technology didn't, just like math didn't, right? So all these things that we were like, well, I'm just not good at that. So I'm going to hire someone else to do it. You know, that's a really bad position to put yourself in because you put you in a, yourself in a vulnerable position of not understanding your own business. And everyone knows that when it comes down to it, the numbers tell the story of your business. I was able to raise money and tell my investors the story of our business through numbers once, once we have proof of concept. And you need to have these things. Like right now I'm negotiating another lease, right? So you have to know what are your numbers? How do you, can we make it work? Does it make sense? Is it worth the leap of faith or can we actually prove this out? So you really do need to have both. You got to get those spreadsheets going and 
for someone like me who's naturally creative and an intuitive and does not want to do these things, it's hard. But I am very lucky to have a co-founder that is very by the book, very by the numbers. And then between the two of us, I'll push things forward. She'll be more conservative. And it is a very nice balance. So certainly now, uh, I, numbers are very interesting to me. We make decisions based on is this busy work? I'm like, I know I want to make this kind of class, but like, is it necessary? Do the numbers prove that people will come to it? Um, it is it is very hard. And sometimes you do just need to take that leap of faith, faith and that gut instinct. Now, when I was younger, right, I was uh, 29, 28, 29, when I officially launched my business. Now it's real easy to not take risks into factor when you're that age, when you're a lot younger. Now being at this age, almost 40, I'm far more risk adverse. I don't know if I would have started my business in the same way because a lot of my business was built on extreme leaps of faith, probably really bad financial de decisions. Definitely. You know, I, I entrusted the wrong people for a long time. I handed off my power because this looks like a smart guy in a button down who knows how to do a spreadsheet and I'm broke. So, <laughs> right. So an interesting balance of trusting your gut, not handing off your power to someone else to be like, you look smart. Cause that's, that's my bad that I would like to do, but you do really need a healthy balance of, of both. So you just mentioned your co-founder, Courtney, who is, she's your COO, correct? She is. And she's your numbers wizard. So, you know, Amanda and I are also co-founders. So we have our own take on this, but would love to hear from you because it's something that we get asked a lot. What is the key to partnering with the right co-founder? And then how do you make it work in the long run? Again, such a such a difficult question because I think especially for women, and this is very true of women I found in general, a lot of people team up with their friends to create businesses, and that does not always a synergistic business make. I think that can cause more turmoil than anything. Um, Courtney and I started our relationship not as friends, but as as more as co-workers. Like we were working together to create this thing. And I think having an equal amount of respect and passion for what you do, not one person can be more passionate or more respectful of the product than the other. I think that's an imbalance. I've, I've tried to bring on other COOs along the way, or like just to shuffle things around to see if things would work. And if they don't have an equal respect and passion for the business, it does not work. Courtney and I would both bleed and die for this business. And we have, by the way, several times over going through failures, going through dips, going through low periods. That's when you really see what people are made of. Um, and she, Courtney was never angling for like the next thing. She was never angling out. We both kind of were two feet in from the beginning. It's kind of like the best relationship you can ever imagine. Like no one was ever one foot out the door. We were really invested and we fight, we fight like crazy. And that is a healthy part of our relationship because we, we don't agree and we shouldn't agree. You know, like we, we are, we are at odds and we have to really talk it out, but you know, I don't know what the secret sauce here is. Again, I think it's just knowing that we were two feet in from the beginning. No one was angling to get out. We didn't have a clause. And our rules were very clear from the beginning. Another thing I see people doing that is not healthy, especially in a business relationship, is women especially. I love my women, but they treat business relationships like friendships. I was like, okay, so I mentor a couple of girls. And I'm like, so where do you have a partnership? Do you have a contract? What's your agreement? Like, what is the actual, what are the, if I took this to a lawyer, what would they say? When they start to, of course, there's inherent problems. And of course, they don't ever have an agreement or a contract. So you do need something that's set in stone from the beginning so that you have a basis of operation for your business relationship. And then personally, we're really good friends. 
And we don't hang out all the time because we're usually working together all the time. That is like our fun time for us. But we've just been really lucky to have a beautiful friendship while also being able to run a very effective business. But, you know, if you sit down with us at cocktails, it's all business all the time. Like that's pretty much how we how we flow. And we're kind of a boring dinner date. I'm sure you're not a boring dinner date, but fine. I'm not, I'm not going to fight you on that one. But speak, speaking of fighting, right? You said that you and Courtney fight like you fight, right? Your your coworkers, you're in this, your co-founders, you're in this really, frankly, like an intimate relationship and people in intimate relationships are just going to fight. So what are your top tips for fighting in a way that is loving and productive? I think there are several ways to have an effective disagreement, uh, an argument. I think number one is to not be afraid to have a disagreement. Again, for my women, I see a lot of women like either placating or being very passive aggressive and I think the best way to have an effective conversation with a coworker or a co-founder or whoever it is, is just to lay it out there and be very transparent with, this is what, I mean, it's therapy, right? It's just like, this is, this is how I'm interpreting this. Do you have an opinion? Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's kind of like giving her time to talk, giving myself time to talk, but putting it all out there. I call it being airtight. I'm not dancing around the bush. I'm, I'm saying what it is. This is what I think what do you think? And then I pass the ball to her and I try not to color it. You know, if I really want her opinion on something, I can't lead her down the path that like, she already knows what I want. And then I don't want her to like either take the offensive or, or like, do you know what I mean? So I try to always set up, if we have a decision to make, I always try to ask her before I give my opinion, but effective arguments are say what you mean and mean what you say, don't dance around it and keep it airtight. Don't, not a lot of flowery language, especially if you need to have a tough conversation, like just go right to the heart of it and then be really kind. I think that's really important too. Like, you know, I think confrontation is difficult. Disagreements are very difficult. I think as most of us women, especially me growing up in Michigan, I never even saw an argument until I moved to New York 14 years ago. So <laughs> still, it's still new to me. But someone once said to me, train yourself for adversity because it's the rare day where you don't have adversity. It's a rare day where everything goes right and everything feels good. If you're growing and you're moving and you're changing, and you're doing the right things, it shouldn't feel that comfortable day to day. It's going to challenge you. So I think being really good at having effective arguments. And then I'm a big fan of like the don't go to bed angry saying, forget that. Go to bed angry and then wake up with a fresh head. Because a lot of times I get a piece of information. I'm really upset about it. I'm emotional because it's my baby, right? It's my thing that I started. I'm emotional. And what I've learned about myself is like, I would love to fire off and just get cracking, not helpful, not effective. I need to really take that information, think about it, sleep on it, let it marinate. And then the next morning I'm in a much better headspace to have a conversation with either my co-founder or someone that I work with. So I think giving it time. This advice is phenomenal, especially like expect adversity, because I think like so many people think like adversity is like a sign that something's wrong. And really it's like, no, it's just a sign that you're like alive and your heart's still beating. But I, I'm like, I can't help myself. What are your astrological signs, you and your co-founder? Do you know? Of course I know. Okay. And I have another <laughs> podcast about that. Um, obviously I know. I, I'm obsessed. So I'm a Scorpio. So Scorpio, <laughs> very passionate, very loyal, very black and white, jealous, possessive, obsessive. <laughs> and Courtney is a Virgo, which is- Oh, perfect. Oh, oh perfect. That's you it. always need a Virgo. When, when I was at Saqqara, it was um kind of a problem. I only hired Virgos. I did not ask people. No, I, I'm not even kidding. I didn't ask of people when they applied. 
I didn't ask them when they applied. I had no idea. And then I ended up with a team. All six people were Virgos. I'm a, I'm a Virgo rising. So I get it. Like Virgos, you know, get shit done. Virgos get shit done. Sorry if you're some sort of illegal business practice to hire. I know. I I know. I don't work anymore. (laughs) So I can say it on a podcast. (laughs) We won't tell anyone. No, Mm -mm. only the audience. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, so Katya, you know, before we like move on from your team, I have to ask you, how do you hire good people? Like, how do you tell before you like bring them into the fold? It's It's hard. hard. What, like, what, what is your trick? It's hard and it's next to impossible. Um, (laughs) so I don't know that there's a trick per se, but I really am a big fan of more heads in the room are better than one. I think if you're making a major hire, like there's, you know, there's smaller hires that maybe are have less touch point, maybe aren't not, not important, but like will have less influence on your company. If you're hiring someone and that's going to have a lot of influence in your company and be in a very prominent spot, that's a very different tactic there. So I think for me, I love and trust my people that work with me. So I always want opinions. I want different gauges on all right, I want you to have an interview. Then I want you guys to go to, for coffee. And then I want yours to be more formal. So getting them in a formal atmosphere and then an informal atmosphere informs a lot. I think it's really helpful. Maybe one's a coffee and then one's more formal in an office. You get different people showing up to those kinds of scenarios. So I think the environment makes a big difference, especially for a tough hire. And then I think having multiple people have one-on-ones with them. And I also try never to do like a two-on-one or a three-on-one because it's just not fair for the person interviewing. And they always are going to present to you the best date version. You know, you're getting the date version. So like, it's, it's just like dating, you know, you're not getting the real deal. So it's really difficult to like scratch underneath the surface. But what I will say is again, follow your gut. If you feel like it's off, maybe they're great. Maybe they're just not great for you you. Um, credentials are one thing what's on paper, but then EQ, I cannot tell you enough. It it is so underrated. Um, but it's really so important and you have to work with this person. So I think trying to give them different scenarios where they can really be revealing. It's just tough. It's honestly, you, you just never know what you have until three months in anyways. So you can't be mad at yourself if you make a bad, bad hire. But what I will say is if you do make a bad hire, get rid of it quickly. A lot of women don't do that. Just call it. If your gut is telling you it's off, it's been off, like get rid of it and, and don't feel bad about it. Cause that's something I I think that I have made mistakes with in the past is keeping someone on in a wrong role when I knew it was wrong. Cause I was like, well, maybe it's just me. And maybe like, I don't know, like just second guessing your instincts are your friend when it comes to that. Like it's just, you got to rip the bandaid off and do the hard thing. So you don't just hire Virgos is what I'm hearing. I, now that I know your idea, maybe I should be hiring just Virgos. I don't know. It seems like it worked. <laughs> Amanda, do you want to take it over? Sorry about that. I thought we'll have to edit that because I thought you were answering the next question. So uh, you acknowledge your team so frequently, which is really refreshing to see. And actually, I don't know if you know this, Katia, but I was on vacation at Palmaya. Uh, in February, when you were there with your team, I actually was in the sweat lodge with Brooke and we're like Instagram buddies because we were in the sweat lodge together in Mexico. So I know that you, uh, you know, you have a team that is 
uh, very connected and feels supported, gets, you know, gets to go to Mexico. I mean, that was, that was quite a, um, quite a trip. So I'm curious, uh, you've told us a little bit how you bring people on, but how do you keep that company culture where people feel empowered, engaged, and want to stick around and be dance bodiers for the long haul? I don't know, man. I really, again, there's not like a magic bullet for this kind of thing. And everyone is so different. I think the more that I work with people, the more I understand that there is no one size fits all for everyone. I think you need to be very bespoke employee to employee and understand just like children, what do they need? What is their learning style? How can I best service them? And just being open to learning. Um, Cause you know, I think when I was younger and I was running a company, I really took on that CEO boss lady title. And I was like, this is how we're doing it. And this is like, I ruled a little bit more with like an iron fist. And that and that's very, it's amateur hour, right? It's a very immature quality that you need to kind of work through your system. It's certainly in the beginning. Now being older and a little softer, I have a lot more compassion for people. I have a lot more compassion for people going through life changes. Like, and, and again, people are going through life changes all the time. Now there is a job to be done. So I think having that nice balance of, hearing people, I think is really important. You really got to listen to people, but you also can make a choice about how does that work for this company or does it not? And I'm really honest about that. Um, again, my style is not for everyone. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't think every employee that's ever worked for me thinks I'm great. Like that's just ridiculous. And I think I've made some failures along the way, but I've learned so much from that. So I think keeping the team connected is really important. There's two different sides, right? I have my admin team and then I have my training team, which the trainers, you're just talking more independent contractors, right? 1099. They're not in the day-to-day -day nitty gritty. So with my trainers, I think having trainer trainings every single month where you are required to come in person, there's no zoom that you have to come in person. If you're training with us, you have to come in person. That time is sacred. It's, it's honestly one of my most favorite times because and I, I try never to miss a training as, and like, you know, most CEOs of fitness places are not that involved. And again, because we're small, I had the luxury of showing up, which has been great. And then our girls from other cities zoom in, but it is sacred time. There are, there are a few moments where you have sacred time with employees and that is really sacred. It's sacred for me to hear from them them for them to hear from me and that we just kind of block that off with my internal team we just try to keep it really honest raw and tight and we we're really kind to each other i can't stress that enough it's 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 not about being a pushover or being a doormat that's not what being kind is kind is being a listening ear when you need it tough love when you need it um it is a fine line between business and professional and i will tell you it's it's hard and it's blurry and it's more gray than it is black and white so I don't know that there's a perfect solution for that. I think everyone's company is very different when it comes to that because there does need to be rules. And I think one thing I try to do is make sure everyone understands the rules emphatically clear. There's never confusion on what the rules are. So when someone breaks a rule or we have to have that those difficult conversations, it's like, it's right here. It's black and white. I hear you, but this is how we operate. And I don't change how we operate person to person. How we operate is how we operate. Everyone signs the same contract. And has the same knowledge of, of what we're about going in. And I think that helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely. There's like a very famous, probably too often quoted Brene Brown quote, which is clear is kind. And I often use that with my clients, I, you know, and I won't even say particularly women because it's men and women. People have a hard time being direct with people. People have a hard time laying down the law, even when it, they could say a million reasons why someone should be fired or why someone's not performing, but then they have a million reasons why they're not going to do it. And it's like, no, no, no. Like you can't, you clear is kind, like being very clear and being very specific is not being 
harsh or mean. It's actually giving people a sandbox to play in, right? If you don't have the box, the sand just goes everywhere and you don't get to have any fun, right? But if there's a clear delineation. Um, so I love, I love that. You've shared so much gold for business owners or aspiring entrepreneurs, but kind of for, well, not, this is for everyone, right? If you have a demanding job, a busy lifestyle, why is it important, you know, to make that time for for movement when you've got so much else going on in your life? Why should someone carve that time out and move their bodies? It, it's therapy. I mean, that that's really it. If your body doesn't feel good, your brain's not going to feel good. And I don't care how many meetings you have or what time you have to get up at. Like people think because I'm a fitness professional that, oh, well, you just have all the time in the world to work out. It is a luxury. Yes. But there are definitely days where like I'm back to back and I have to figure out when I'm fitting my workout in, which is really tough. So I've never met a person that was sad or sorry that they fit their workout. in. I know several people who don't feel as good as they could because they just simply haven't prioritized it. My best clients will block off their calendar and tell their boss, I have a priority meeting here. And it is mental health. If you think about what working out does, right? Aside from physicality, I think what COVID taught us the most is that we get these happy chemicals from moving our bodies and being with other people. I call it the daily dose. It's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. These are the same drugs that slow release from any antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. If you're in therapy, they're probably prescribing you some sort of movement to do, go for a walk. Great, but a walk doesn't always include other people. We far underestimate how important it is to be in a third space community outside of our workspaces and our homes. This is very underestimated. And again, if COVID taught us anything, it's that this third space is so precious and so needed in our society, most especially for women who are very communal animals. Like half the goodness that you're getting out of that workout is being in a place that's outside of your other places. It is a luxury to work out in person. I mean, I, I totally get it, but the mental health of it, it's just, you, you cannot underestimate it. And I think people do, and they feel self-indulgent for taking time for their workouts, but that's not actually what that is. It should be prioritized, like putting on pants or brushing your teeth or putting on mascara. This is a non-negotiable people. <laughs> you just have to. I love that you included mascara with the non-negotiable. <laughs> I love it. Waterproof mascara and I are like this since I'm 12. That's so. a Scorpio. Such a Scorpio. Oh Scorpio. my gosh. I know. Fierce as hell. So, so we, you know, we had a great conversation a few weeks ago about working in a way that actually brings you joy and creates longevity rather than grinding it out to the point of burnout or even just to the point that it doesn't feel fun anymore. Right. And, but we all know work is called work for a reason. Like you're just going to have to do shit. You sometimes don't want to do some, sometimes you're going to have to power through a day when you feel exhausted. It is what it is. But have you always had this outlook of, I want my work to bring me more joy than burnout. And if not, what's helped you evolve to have this mindset? Well, I have a couple of thoughts on this. <laughs> Spill um, them all. I am a little hippy dippy in this way, but I believe in living in something I call the GGG, which is your God-given gift. And I think if you're living in your GGG, your God-given gift, however you want to define that for yourself, maybe that's, you know, you're very detail-oriented or you're a people person. Like I know I'm an extrovert and I get energy from interactions with other people. That is how I personally gain energy. That's how I water my soul. It feels good to me. So I knew that I was in the right 
place when I started this company. And I think that doesn't mean everyone has to start their own company, by the way. That does, that's not at all what I mean by that. And, and in fact, you sh shouldn't. I have a lot of reasons why sh people shouldn't be starting companies. And like, it's all going to end in tears. But we'll, we can get to that later. But I think operating in a place where you feel that you're offering your best work. So everyone has something inside of them that they can offer to the world whether you know it or not, whether you know what that is or not. I think if you're living in that and you're you're very generously giving that out, I think you're in the right place. And I think that helps to avoid burnout because then you're living in flow, right? You're living in a flow state where when I get up and I'm able to teach a class and I'm able to, obviously I'm doing all the hard shit. Everyone's doing the hard shit. This is not just easy. And by the way, while I'm on this subject, these... <sighs> There's a lot of people searching for happiness, taking time off for happiness and searching for their, like, I've never taken time off to find happiness. I have always been happy when I'm doing, when I'm pursuing, when I'm actively, to try to sit still on a mountain and achieve happiness, I think is a fallacy that a lot of younger women are having right now, which is, it's tough to watch. It, it really is because happiness is not over there. It's not in a journal over there. It's not in a bali over there it's here and wherever you go when you come back it will all be there waiting for you if you don't sort it out so happiness for me is in my day-to-day -day interactions and in my day-to-day -day work do i feel like i'm contributing do i feel like this is valuable am i producing something purposeful in the world do i feel like i'm contributing to something and i think these are the questions we need to don't ask yourself if you're happy you're going to drive yourself freaking crazy you know because like moment to moment emotions are like waves you're just riding them but in terms of purpose what am i purposefully putting out i think that is a game-changing way to think about things and it's hard for me to watch young women really struggle with that because they think that their happy is always somewhere else. Like it's actually findable. It, mm. It's it's a it's a very difficult conversation you have to have with yourself of, am I happy in what I am contributing and how I'm living and what I'm producing? And then you kind of take it from there. That doesn't mean you have a bubble bath every night. Like it's just mental health is somehow devolved into like, take time for self-care. Yes, take time for self-care. Of course, no one wants to be burned out. And there is hard balance. Like I go hard. So I understand that probably I'm on the extreme end of this, but I think there is a lot of self-care in doing work that you're proud of. And I think yeah. it's just spoken about in those terms. It's not a spa weekend. Necessarily. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not against a spa weekend, by the way, <laughs> I'm for it, but I also, I don't like the concept of like that happiness is somewhere outside of what you are, can control. Yeah, it's so interesting. So at Full Plate Full Cup, we just launched a course on burnout. And we like actively tell people that self-care is like the tip of the iceberg icing on the cake. We start by helping people get their shit together, get clear on what they get clear on, you know, what's limiting in their life, get clear on what okay. will bring them fulfillment. And we actually, you know, we we use the word joy more than happiness because I find, you know, the distinction is subtle for some people, but joy is an experience that, Hey, the life that I'm living, I feel like it matters. I feel like, I feel like it's, I, I am here for a purpose. I feel like the way that I show up for people is positive and enriching versus happiness is like, woohoo, I got a new like purse or right. You know? So <laughs> I, I love that distinction. And I also think, you know, it's personal, right? People have different, uh, different, um, ways that they, 
engage with their work. And I think, you know, the way that you have found a way to turn your passion into your uh, your business, right? It 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 allows you to go hard the way that you have, right? If you if you were an accountant, I don't think you'd be going hard. <laughs> I didn't know much about what I wanted to be, but I knew that working in a cubicle would kill my soul. That's all yeah. I knew. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you have to know. That's all you have to know. No. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I, I just knew that sitting nicely in a chair all day was not going to go well for me. Like I was going to be unhappy and it was going to produce bad results. And luckily I didn't have to, <laughs> I don't yeah. think I pursued uh, sitting in a chair anywhere. So that never really happened. But, but yeah, I think you're totally right. I think finding that joy aspect is really important and, and it's not easy, especially yeah. if you're young and you're trying to figure it out. Like you don't need to, what, what is that amazing? Is it a Martin Luther King quote where it's like, you don't have to see the full staircase to take the first few steps. Mm, yeah. You don't have yeah. to have, I think women put a lot of pressure on themselves to like know the full, you don't need to know yeah. the full thing before you take a few actionable steps. And in fact, it's better to take small, yeah. actionable, achievable steps before you say, I'm going to sell my company. Great. We'd yeah. all like to do that. So yeah. how are you doing it? Speaking of taking first steps, you teach people to dance, right? And whether it's starting a business or learning a new dance, uh, it can be hard because when you go the first time, you might not know what you're doing. You might look stupid. You might suck at it. How do you help people or what would you tell people who are uh, hesitating to start something new or try something new because they're afraid of how they're going to look out in the world to others? I, first of all, I totally get it as an adult and an overachiever. Like I don't want to look silly doing something. So I'm totally in their camp. I totally get not wanting to like, I want to be good at something. You know, you want to feel achieved at something. And I think most people want to feel that way. So when I, when I invite people to dance body, the feedback I always get is like, oh, no, 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 I I'm not coordinated. I'm not a dancer. I'm like, dance is in the name. So I'm inherently scaring people when I invite them to my business. And I realize this. So <laughs> I have to kind of, I, so the first thing I say is like, but I would have no business if I couldn't teach normal people to dance. Like you realize that like the majority of my clients have never danced. It's the rare, rare client I have that has any dance background at all. Like maybe they did gymnastics when they were five. That counts by the way, you know, it really does. So I, I, it's basically trickery and peer pressure to get people to start this because it is, it is hard, man. It's hard. And there is a learning curve, but the pot of gold on the other side of the rainbow of a learning curve is just, it's so valuable and it's so worthy. You get so much more out of investing time into something that really has a trajectory. It's like learning a new language or learning to play a musical instrument. This should not come naturally if you have not done it. You are rewiring your brain. Again, it's all mental. Now, the good thing is music and dance hit the primal reward center of your brain. As humans, we are designed this way. So you know, it's like if you're walking through the park and you hear drums, or you see people dancing, you're initially drawn to it. Those are the primal reward centers of your brain kicking in from our ancestral DNA being like, you like this. Like all kids like music, like dance. And then as adults, we learn to get embarrassed and we're like, oh, um, I can't, I don't do this. So you, you shut down that whole primal reward system. Now, when you get that back, it's highly rewarding. Learning to do something as an adult that is actually an acquired skill feels really, really good. And the sense of confidence and achievement, like I love seeing the girl and like a weird t-shirt in the back row, like being super awkward with me. I love it because I know for a fact, if I can get her hooked, 
And it really is, it's between one and five classes. That's really, that's, that's not a lot. One in five classes. If I can get you in for that, she will be transitioning to a uh, middle row and a cute tank top. And then we get to front row and a cute crop top. Like I've seen this, yes, it happens. Like I've seen this transition and what it does for people's confidence, the way they hold themselves. This is not about getting a six pack. This is a, about feeling really good in earned confidence. This is not something you can buy on Instagram. This is not a lipstick you put on. This is not a cute outfit, although they do help. You know, like this This is something where you feel powerful in your body. I don't actually like the term empowerment. That implies that I had to get re-empowered from something that was taken away. Like everyone has this powerful source inside of them. It's just, you have to learn how to tap into it. And I think the more powerful you feel in your body, the more powerful you feel in your mind and in your work and in your, your sphere of people around you. By the way, this is not just for women. I had a guy come to class today. First time he did dance and sculpt, which is 30 minutes of dance, 30 minutes of sculpt. And he was living his best life and he, but it's no ego. It's also, it's hard to find, you know, if you're an adult with no ego, it's hard. So you have to just like, be like, no one's looking at me and I'm just here for me. He dove in in a room of 20 women and rocked it. And I was so impressed. And I, I just love that. And it happens, you know, but you have to, the only person judging you is you. It's you and your inner critic. It's actually no one else has time, but no one cares. Everyone just cares about themselves. That's what they care about. So it's like, you have to do it for you and for no other reason. 100%. You think we forget that people are so concerned about what they look like and how you're perceiving them that they don't even have any brain space left to think about your judge you, right? Yet we're exactly. so consumed with it. I read a quote last week. I forget who it was from, but it said, become an expert at being a beginner. I love that, right? Because if you can become an expert at being a beginner, the world opens up to you, right? It's like true. anything becomes possible. So, so Katya, speaking of being a beginner, you are pregnant with your first daughter. I think by the time this episode releases, there might be a new human on this earth, courtesy of you. Isn't that wild? It's time will, so time wild. will tell. Yeah, she's not going to be out by then. I mean, yeah, she's got to be out by then. I think that those are the rules. <laughs> well, I was just thinking of when you were talking story. about how everyone loves dance when they're little. I was just thinking about you once you have a little toddler, the way they shake their booties. Oh, I have a three-year-old. I have a three-year-old and like she gets down like no other. So I'm so excited for you to watch the actual like primal urge for dance and booty shaking because it's going to literally light up your soul. Oh yeah. I mean, it's seeing that development from the ground up. It's going to be so enlightening for me as a teacher, as a human, like I already feel more connected to like the human race, just being pregnant. I'm having so many different friendships, conversations. Like it just is that one step closer of, of connection. It's just awesome. It's already awesome. Yeah. So before I ask my next question, do you have five minutes to go over? Cause I want to be respectful yeah. of your time. All right. Amazing. Yeah, thank you for asking. No, I'm good till three. Awesome. So you know, a lot of women who are pregnant are going through any type of body change, right? Like menopause, perimenopause, like the list goes on. It can be probably a touchy subject to bring up in the workplace or to bring up publicly. I know that I had a lot of hesitation talking about my pregnancy publicly for a long time because I was like, I don't want anyone to dictate my experience, to tell me what to do or what not to do, or to take away kind of this joy that I'm feeling. And, you know, I don't know if you had any of those feelings as well, but you know, from your experience, we know that you did eventually share, you went viral again, like 30 million views. Hello. What advice would you give 
other women who are pregnant or going through some other life-changing moment in their bodies and are hesitant to share it or bring it into the workplace. Did I lose you? No, we're still here. Oh God. Good? Okay. okay. I thought I, okay. Edit. <laughs> we got edit. you. Sorry. <laughs> edit, edit. Okay. <laughs> Cut. I'll do like that. Um, it's a great, it's a great question. And I think it all boils down to one phrase, which is know thyself. Um, you know, every pregnancy, just like every body, just like every person is very different in how they want to take in information, how they want to give out information. Um, I know for me, <laughs> I don't know if you've realized, but I'm an extrovert. So I thrive on the energy that other people give me and I give back to them. Like I thrive on that. Um, and, and most people do that oxytocin release is really important and connecting with other people is really important. So there's a couple things I want to mention about this process, especially for me being, being pregnant and being public about it. Um, so I wasn't able to be public about it for a long time, longer than I would have preferred. First of all, I, I went through a miscarriage and when I had done that, you know, maybe like a year before I didn't want to talk to anyone. And that was the first time in my life that I wanted to go inward. However, once I did feel comfortable to start sharing that, once I had a little time for myself, I realized how common it was. I realized how many other women had stories just like mine. It made me feel so much better to actually openly talk about it. I know women going through perimenopause and menopause, and I will tell you, I've seen the rewards of them talking about it with women in studio. When you are just thinking it's, it's so not our bodies. Yes, we are unique, but like, we're not that unique. Like all these other humans that you see around you are going through very similar sensations and it's what's going on in our world is like, it's insulating us more, but like, we are so much more alike than we are different. We have so much more in common that we would even think. So I think if you're open to sharing that, even with, you don't have to do it on a wide scale, but I think even with one or two other people, I, I really do think that kind of catharsis helps go through any process, especially as a women and in women's health, a lot of things aren't talked about as much. So it's up to us to start to breach and have these conversations. So when I was finally able to announce, so I was waiting on test results in my pregnancy. I wanted to announce as soon as possible because I'm an instructor and my body was changing and people watch my body. I don't have a normal job where I can put on like a shirt. I don't wear a shirt to work. Like, so at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 weeks, I wasn't able to announce. And I had like, I was not like a, like I had a belly. So, and people knew my moms who have had kids, they could tell people were starting to say congratulations to me. And I hadn't announced. And that was really hard for me because it was a really interesting test because for someone who loves to be open and an open book and probably overshare, it was a really interesting test from the universe to be like, can you keep this under your hat? Can you keep it together? And it was a mentally very stressful, depressing, tough time for me. Cause I didn't have what I would normally lean into, which is like being an open book. And I di didn't have that community that I wanted. Um, so when I was able to finally announce, it was like having a total load off. But then, of course, going viral, once 30 million people see anything, the opinions and the talk back you're going to get is very different from your internal community, where it's most mostly always positive, right? People that are communicating with you. Now you're getting everything all over the board. And it just showed me how far apart we are in understanding women's health, understanding pregnancy, um, how social media and a five second clip is not representative of reality and how people are not aware of that is amazing to me. Um, so there was a lot of like negativity 
I think on that post alone, we're close to like 5,000 comments. And while a lot of them were positive and women sharing their stories, a lot of them were negative or like, you're going to kill your baby. You're going to do this, like very like targeted. And I had to make a decision of a, do I read it? Do I erase all these comments? Do I read it? Do I respond to it? And I made the active decision to approach it head on. And I responded to every single negative comment personally, because it was healing for me to educate them and be like, actually, this is not true. You know, my doctors, but like, at least talking back was helpful for me. I think if I just got that negativity and I just had to swallow it, that would have been harder. So I think you have to know thyself, know how you want to handle it. I'm in a time in my life where I do want to talk about things and I want to be open. And if anyone has a dissenting opinion, I want to hear it actually. And I want to have that conversation and welcome that in. But if you're someone who's not ready for that and you want to be a little more controlled with it. And by the way, I, I, working for yourself compared to like working in a corporate environment, very different, very different. I've spoken to a lot of women that are in that situation. It's like, it's not the same. It's just not the same. But but I think if you know yourself and you're confident in yourself and you're confident in what you're talking about and you're ready to have those conversations, I think it's very rewarding as opposed to holding it in. This is why talk therapy exists, right? Yeah. Well, our our therapist friend, Vienna Farron, who's also been on the podcast, she was one of the first people that I told. And she gave me a very just intelligent piece of advice that kind of goes along with what you were saying. And she said, you know, this is the most common thing in the world. Like being pregnant is the most common thing in the world, but you can't help but feel like no one else knows what you're going through. And so she really encouraged me to talk to people. And I, I, I can't help but think there's so many other things like that in life, right? Where you can stay quiet and feel alone and feel isolated and feel like no one understands. But if you choose to open up that, you know, you know, you might get some negative comments and I'm sorry that that happened to you, but you might also find more support than you could have ever imagined and support that you didn't even know that you needed. So thank you for being so open with everything. Um, so, you know, you're, we could, we could go on, but you know, your baby is due to arrive any week <laughs> now, right? By, by the end of August. Uh, so we know what is coming up for you, but what is next for your other baby dance body? Oh, my other baby dance body, you know, turning 10, it's like, all right, at least we got dance body to the double digits before having this new idea. Um, but I think the hybrid approach for us is really what has worked through the years. And when I say that, I mean, being digital and being in person, I think having a healthy balance of both of that has been really important. Now, what most people don't know is that we were digital in 2016, well before COVID, whereas most people were catching up during COVID and becoming digital then. We had an online presence in 2016. And believe it or not, we launched it on Periscope. <laughs> Remember Periscope? Periscope. And then we turned all those users into our dance body at home users. And then we transitioned to dance body live and we could live stream from our studios. So, so it's been a really important piece to me. I wanted to make dance body more accessible to people. It, I don't care if you live in like New York or LA, or if you're in the Hamptons, you should be able to have access to really good boutique fitness workouts anywhere. So that was really important to me. So for 35 bucks a month, which is less than the price of an in-person class, you have all this access, like multiple, like over six, seven, eight live classes a day that you can stream into. So that was really cool. Um, so it's going to be a healthy blend of in-person, by the way, in-person is not going anywhere. And this has been my theory from the beginning. Just look at anything that's 
strictly digital right now. It's not as great as it looks. I know it looked great during COVID, but COVID was a weird fake time. It was not real time for people. And you can't change thousands of years of biology. Like we do need to interact. We do need communities. We do need these things. So in terms of dance body going forward, it's going to be really important to me that we do have an in-person presence and that will be expanding. Hopefully I'll get to announce that very soon. So we do have plans for that. Now, I don't think we need to go, I'm not looking to open 250 locations. That's maybe down the road if that works out great, but right now it's quality over quantity for me. It's really important for my, my teachers and my clients. I need everyone to be happy and good. And it is very hard to scale fitness large. It is, it is hard to do and keep that quality. So that's something I'm passionate about, but also the streaming processes has been so rewarding and our clients are so loyal and so faithful. And now they make the pilgrimage to come in person. So it's been really awesome to see that bridge get like that or that gap get a little bit bridged there between the digital and in person. And a lot of people are doing hybrid now. So I think that is the future. The future is definitely more products. You can see more products coming out from us and hybrid, hybrid, hybrid. It's the only way. Love it. Well, we love quality over quantity. That's uh, <laughs> one of our mottos as well. So uh, we could talk to you all day. You're so much fun. I love my son's a Scorpio. I love a Scorpio moment. Um, but we're going to go into our rapid fire questions that we end all of our episodes with. So our first question is what is one tip for working smart? My one tip for working smart is working with a clear mind. Love and a workout helps you get there. I think that's, that's so true. What is one tip for working happy? Working happy working happy is, is being really proud of the work that you're doing. Love that. And last question, where can our listeners find you? All over all the time. You can find me on Instagram, personally responding to every single DM. Cause I love it. I actually enjoy it. I used to hate it, but now I love it. Um, so they can find me, uh, on Instagram on Katia, K A T I A underscore dance body. You can find dance body at dance body or dancebody.com, or you can find our studios in New York City city. We are located in Tribeca and Nomad and seasonally in the Hamptons. And our pop-ups are in Miami and LA. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Katya. This was an absolute pleasure to have you on. We love your energy. We love your workouts. We love you. Everyone <laughs> check out Dance Body. If you're not in New York, Hamptons, Miami, or LA, you can stream online. So no excuses to get moving. And Katya, Congratulations on your pregnancy. I'm going to wish you so much luck as you go forward into this next chapter. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Full Plate, Full Cup. If you found this episode helpful, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. To learn more about the Full Plate, Full Cup methodology or to work with us in a more personal way, Find us on Instagram at Full Plate Full Cup. That's at F U L L P L A T E F U L L C U P, or online at www.fullplatefullcup.com. www.fullplatefullcup.com.